Psalm 141 and verse 1, a psalm of David. Lord, I cry unto thee. Make haste unto me. Give ear unto my voice when I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. As the evening sacrifice. I cry unto thee. Hear me, I cry unto thee. Let my prayer be like the incense in the tabernacle. And the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Put your Bibles down behind you and would you lift up your hands now unto the Lord, all the people. If you read chronological Bibles, you'll notice that the Psalms are written at particular times, distinct times, mostly built around that current context. There are some psalms which cannot be known, but many of them are written in conjunction with their historical counterparts. Psalm 141 is somewhat obscure, not completely, we do know. David is writing a prayer in response to the dire condition he has found himself. I sense it to be akin to a midnight storm, a cloudy mix of anguish and fear. David was either running from King Saul or hiding from his son, Absalom. The scenes are different, so we must choose one or the other. The former is the most logical and accepted scenario as told by most of the scholars of old. It's highly unlikely that he is referring to his son. Rather, David's flight from King Saul has consumed his days, and here it is in Psalm 141. The matter will be settled. On at least two occasions, David could have killed King Saul. David and his men will find the unguarded king once asleep. It could have been in the dark. David could have wounded Saul on other occasions if he so desired. But David would rather run away and hide than attack the Lord's anointed. However tainted King Saul might have become, or whatever right David thought he had to defend himself, he would not succumb. David could have spoken out against his wayward leader, but he believed and he confessed that Saul was still the Lord's anointed, so he withheld. It is perplexing to our American culture, that thing about anointing. We struggle with it, though we often think we have it. I cannot say what should have been done in every case or what should be done. 
When it comes to those who are chosen, then they turn away or become corrupted. All I know is that David did not raise his hand or his voice to the Lord's anointed. His choice is now a fading caution among us, lamentable. It's lost in our day. David simply prayed this prayer. He said, Lord, I cry unto you. Make haste to me. Give ear to my voice when I cry unto you. He writes as one would speak, Lord, I cry. Hear me, I cry. Like a child to his father or to his mother in desperation, the redundancy should not be overlooked. Oh, Lord, I'm crying. Hear me, I'm crying. I recognize those words today, ladies and gentlemen. The heart from which they come. That has been my cry on many occasions. It is a repetitive sound like a drum beating out a plea. Jesus, Jesus. If you've ever been in need, then you know these kinds of prayers. Those of us who have been in the midnight storm know our need from God. We don't seek him casually or briefly. It's a cry from our gut, from our heart. Jesus, Jesus. When you're in the middle of a storm, you really don't care who hears you or how it sounds. I, I know that overwhelming feeling. It causes me to repeat myself sometimes over and over again. Oh, Lord, hear my cry. Oh, Lord, hear my voice. I cannot speak for everyone here, but I've been around many who have felt that sting. And none seem to utter a single phrase and then walk away as if it's sufficient. We know that the Lord hears us the first time but there is something about the desperate cry of the soul it is never offered in minimal form it's never a one-off statement without reiteration when you become hungry for God when you are pinned in with no way out or no escape no hope when the complexities of life are greater than a simple sit down when you are bound by doubt do I have any real people in this room today when you are enveloped by darkness and when you feel desperate or alone or hurting or helpless, I tell you that those who know that moment will pray a rehearsal, replay, echoed prayer. I need thee, oh Lord, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Go look in your Bible and ask blind Bartimaeus when they told him to be quiet. He said, Jesus, thou son of David, have mercy on me. Be quiet. But he cried out the more a great deal. Jesus, have mercy on me. God, quickly, quickly, God, David said. I need you right now. I'm in this dark place. I'm running to save my life and to honor the king at the same time. It's a balance of, of my life. I'm doing all my can to keep my hands clean and my tongue from guile. I'm crying out to you, Lord. David doesn't even want to speak in the wrong way. Though the moment is bitter and painful, he says in Psalm 141 and 3, Set a guard over my mouth, O Lord. Keep watch over the door of my lips. Because being wounded or crushed is not unusual. Everybody is wounded. Such is the path of our life. What is unique is not allowing the words of our mouth to become bitter waters. That's unique. David's praying the prayer of anguish, of urgency, of exigence. Psalm 141, it's there in a handful of words and you have to feel it to understand it. You could read it over and miss the whole point. From other portions of scripture, we know that David and his band of indebted men are hiding in caves along the desert's edge. They are loyal men, 
having no purpose of life beyond the whispers of David's possible ascension to the throne, if ever that might occur. But for their part, David's men would rather engage in the battle. They would all rather fight to the death against King Saul and his men than to stand idly by. They've even encouraged David to kill King Saul at the given chance. We know that David has been removed from the arena of worship. He's nowhere near Shiloh now. Caves never exist near tabernacles. The house of worship, the place of praise and sacrifices, all that David has ever loved, it's been taken from him. He could not worship or sing or dance or praise or make a sacrifice to the Lord and at the same time contend with King Saul. It's apparent that the worst part of his banishment was leaving Shiloh. All was missed because David was without. And there it is. Without. Not able. Not there. Not here. It's the place you really don't want to be, but life and circumstances often make it impossible to be within. That's where David wanted to be within. He always wanted to be within. He wrote it in Psalm 27. One thing have I desired of the Lord that will I seek after. I, I want to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. One thing within is the desire of all of us who love the Lord within. Within is where we all should be or want to be. In this day, can you hear me? And in the coming days, hear it, I believe that more people will want to feel this Holy Spirit and they will look for it in the sanctuary. <laughs> I spoke of someone who is no longer in the sanctuary, and no longer in the presence of God, no longer serving the Lord. And I made a wishful statement even saying, He'll be back someday. And the person replied, oh, that'll never happen. And the Lord spoke to me this last week as I rehearsed that and other people. And the doubt of that, but the Lord said to me in my own heart, yes, but you haven't experienced any real tribulation yet. When that happens, there will be an awakening Just driving up to the church this morning, seeing the parking lot, just walking in the door and hearing the worship and the singers. And there's something about it. Only those who love it can understand it. To be within, to sing and to clap, to laugh, to join in praise. One of our dear elders told me on the phone just a handful of days before he passed away. He said, Pastor, it's not the sickness that bothers me so. It's that I cannot make it to church because that's where I really want to be. I can be sick. I can be down in my body, but what I really miss is being in church. That is the heart to be within. I want to be within. If all else fails, I'm happy to at least be able to watch the services online. And I'm glad you're doing that, though it is but a fraction of the feeling that, that I have when I'm with all of you. David's one desire was to be within in the house. He once said that he would trade the highest accolades, the tent of wickedness, places of gain, societal acceptance and notoriety. He said, I would rather hold the door or stand at the door than to be anywhere else in the world. Put 
me out the door. I'd rather be there. You can have fame and money, careers, cars, houses, boats, properties, acceptance. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. I would rather stand there than be anywhere within. Even still, sometimes you cannot be where you want to be. And as we move forward, perhaps we may not always have the opportunities to be within, either by demand or by sickness or by the turmoil of the days surely to come. Who can tell? These Sunday services are precious, ladies and gentlemen. These moments ought not to be squandered or taken for granted. I just want to pause and say to someone, since you have the chance, you ought to take advantage of your time in this house, in this morning, in this time, in this place, in this hour. If you are here, come on, be here. Why don't you give God a praise like it's your last time? Why don't you clap your hands like Jesus just walked in the door? Why don't you dance like nobody's watching? Why don't you leap if you can, sing with a joyful noise? Praise him. You're here. Praise him. to take advantage of every moment in the presence of the most high God you ought to shout out with all of your voice until you have no voice left come on take advantage of it you've got it you're within you ought to smile you ought to dance you ought to jump you ought to praise you've got the opportunity to do it it's an honor and a privilege The worst thing we could do is to take for granted and squander these precious moments. Nobody cares what you're doing. It's unto the Lord. You're not out of order. It's unto the Lord. You're within. Yes. I'll give you as much time as you want right here. <laughs> I'm not going to rush you. We won't play any music, but you can just play it in your head, whatever you got going on there. <laughs> oh, yes. Ah. I desire you in the sanctuary. But we do not live within. This is our honor. This is to our benefit. Born from the freedom of so many 
the cost, rather, of so many people, the freedom given to us by the apostles and the prophets. And then, in continuation, by those who served our country to preserve our right to worship, who spilled their blood on foreign soil to perpetuate democracy around the world so the tyrants that now have invaded us on our own homeland so that we could clap, worship, sing, dance without retribution or without scorn. That the law would make, make no provision against the freedom to worship God in whatever fashion we so desire. Men who died, the majority of which we will never know, nameless faces from this nation, and then from the saints of the Most High God that gave us the apostolic heritage that traced its way back to the day of Pentecost, the biblical pathway. It came by way of prayer and prayer meetings and untold sacrifices. We are here because a group of people decades and decades ago came together in this little town. Many of them were women and got together and had prayer meetings in their homes without a preacher. And people gave out of their want, not out of their plenty. They had nothing and gave everything. We are blessed to be here within. Within. But you will not always be within. More often than not, you'll be without. Think with me now. David grew up with the morning and the evening sacrifice. By the time he came into this world, the morning and the evening sacrifice had long since been established, hundreds of years prior. In ancient times in Israel, every morning at 9 a.m., the first sacrifice was laid upon the altar in both the tabernacle of Moses and later in the temple of Solomon. This was the morning sacrifice. And the people of Israel gathered together in worship every morning at this time as the sacrifice was laid upon the altar and offered to the Lord. Then again at 3 p.m., the evening sacrifice was laid upon the altar and once again the people would gather at the tabernacle or in the temple to worship as the sacrifice was offered to the Lord. The morning and the evening sacrifice was the daily schedule of every Israelite. It was baked into their lifestyle. But the principle, or at least even the specifics of it, had to take place in the tabernacle, both morning and evening in the tabernacle. And now David is without. He's on the run. He's caught in a life and death situation that will not afford him the privilege of being there for worship and sacrifice. Not morning or evening. He cannot join the singers. He cannot dance with the dancers. He cannot play with the musicians or yet praise with the people. And yet David will show us the way when you are without. David does not allow himself to feel cut off from the Lord because he is without. So he shows us the way of how to live. His prayer is greater than the moment. It is way. It is a way of life. He has no tools of worship in his hands. He holds no coals of fire or the sweet smelling ointment made from the craft of the apothecary. No incense. No lamb. No meat. No grain. No turtle dove. 
but he prays, he prays and he puts it down in writing. He knows of this thing because he remembers it in the writing. They called it the wave offering. Exodus 29. And thou shalt put in the hands of Aaron and in the hands of his sons and shall wave them for a wave offering before the Lord. And they shall receive them of their hands and burn them upon the altar for a burnt offering for a sweet savor before the Lord. It is an offering made by fire unto the Lord. And thou shalt take the breast of the ram of Aaron's consecration and wave it for a wave offering before the Lord. And it shall be thy part. And thou shalt sanctify the breast of the wave offering and the shoulder of the heave offering which is waved and which is heaved up of the ram of the consecration even that which is for Aaron and of that which is for his sons. Exodus 29 was the establishment of taking the animal sacrifice and waving it unto the Lord. Exodus chapter 7, chapter 8, chapter 9, and chapter 10. They took the meat offering and waved it before the Lord as a wave offering. The Bible says in Leviticus 14, they took oil and made it as a wave offering before the Lord. In Leviticus 23, they took a sheath of wheat and waved it unto the Lord. Here's your Bible. And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath. From the day that ye brought the sheave of the wave offering. And then Leviticus 23.20 says that they brought their first fruit tithes. With bread for a wave offering before the Lord. Each time they had something in their hands. They had substance. They had provisions. They had significant things to wave before the Lord. If you were able to come and put an offering in the basket today, you had some substance. You ought to thank God that you were within and you had something in your hand to give. You didn't give it unto me or to the church. You gave it unto the Lord. If you give unto a church or to a program, that's all it will ever be. But if you give it to the hands of God and it goes into the hands of God, you don't know what God can do with whatever you just gave. That's right. But when David is without and he's in a cave, there's nothing in his hands but his hands. Let my prayer be set forth before thee as incense and the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. The rite of Hebrews gave us the first path, the spiritual renewal. Here is spiritual renewal when you are low. Hebrews 12, 12. Wherefore, lift up your hands, they're hanging down. Paul said to Timothy, I will therefore that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. Regardless of where you are, there is something powerful in the process of lifting up your hands. Do not overthink this, ladies and gentlemen. There is a wave offering in your hands, even if there's nothing in your hands. And David found it that day when he is trapped by the man that he loved who sought for his own blood when he could not make it to Shiloh and he could not worship with the people and he could not stand with the singers and he could not give a sacrifice of, of lamb or of meat or of grain or of oil. He said, I cannot be within, but no matter where I am, when I lift up my hands, it's going to be as the evening sacrifice. 
So I preach today with confidence in the Holy Ghost. If you are caught in a snare, lift up your hands. If you are bound by doubt, lift up your hands. Wherever you are, sitting, standing, walking, lift up your hands. It will be as the evening sacrifice. Yes. If you are without and you will be without more times than within. You don't have to wait and you should not wait to get here to worship God. Don't put on praise when you walk in the door. In fact, I'm looking for a day when when we come here, it's just an overspill of what we've been praising God for Monday through Saturday. Sunday ought not be the day of praise. Every day ought to be the day of praise. Sunday ought to be of testimony about what God was doing while we were praising him. When we were without. As the evening sacrifice. If you are without, when no one is around and you feel helpless and hopeless and struggling, and I have felt that so many times. If you ever catch yourself in a place you wish you were not, Lift up your hands. Just lift up your hands. And give God a sacrifice of praise. It's going to be as the evening sacrifice. It's going to be as if you were standing in the midst of the congregation. And you had a lot of offerings or something to give God. But if you'll just open up your hands. And if they're empty it's okay. Because it's coming from your heart. You wave to God. I'm going to give you a wave offering. Sometimes powerful things happen in the evening sacrifice. Like no other time. The evening sacrifice. I want to be within. I want to be in the fellowship of the church family, my brothers and sisters. And I say that it's a shame to feel any other way. If you don't want to be in the presence and the fellowship of the saints, it might mean that you are not centered correctly. You're unbalanced. Your autonomy is drowning you, pulling you under. Self-centered people reject the fellowship of the body. I want to be within at all times, whenever I can, as often as we can. But when I am without, when I am trapped by this life and the distance binds my desire like a rope around my feet, I will lift up my hands and give him worship. And it will be as if I'm standing in the sanctuary here in the choir and hearing the praises of the people. It will be as the evening sacrifice. Mm-hmm. Not much fanfare, just me and you, Lord. I can't hear the sound of the organ or the keyboards or the drums or the guitars. No cymbals are playing. But here's my evening sacrifice, Lord. I'm in a cave, but I'm not going to give up my evening sacrifice, Lord. I'm in trouble, but I'm not going to give up my evening sacrifice, Lord. With the lifting of my hands. My prayer is going to be like an incense. There's nothing burning, nothing smoking around me but my prayer and my, and my mouth and my words and my praise. Something powerful happens in the evening sacrifice. In fact, perhaps the most powerful things happened in the evening sacrifice. Elijah is on a mountain. There's a drought He's about to end the drought. The congregation of the people have gathered there on Carmel. Ahab, the king, is in attendance. 
Elijah challenges the people. No one will say one way or the other they are devil-minded. He challenges them to even say, make up your mind how long we're going to waver between two opinions. If God's God, worship him. If Baal is God, let's test this out. Make a sacrifice. Put the, put the stones in place. And Elijah gives the prophets of Baal and the prophets of Jezebel first call their allotted time. He gives them all day, in fact, to call on Baal, the God who answers by fire. But there is no fire. And those prophets, 850, cry and they cut themselves with stones. And they begin to beat on that dry and incompetent altar until it literally fell apart. Stones were falling out of place. It was a crossroads in the history of Israel. And Elijah was standing by to witness. He gave them their time, their allotted time. He gave those false prophets all the time they wanted, knowing that the Lord God was the only God. No fire was fallen from the God of Baal. Then they finally gave up, perhaps weary, bleeding out, discouraged. And Elijah rebuilt that altar, put the fresh sacrifice on it, and then he poured 12 barrels of what they had the least of on top of it, water. In the famine, he poured water on the sacrifice. Not a cloud in the sky. And he poured what they needed most right on top of that water. Right on top of this, because he was not going to take a chance that a little spark might come around. He wanted to make sure two things. First of all, I'm going to show you how great my God is. I'm going to take what you need the most. And secondly, we'll make sure that there's no doubt that God is the God of fire. <laughs> he rebuilt that altar. He called for 12 barrels of water and he said, it's my turn. A change was coming and it was the evening sacrifice. I'll read it to you in the Bible. First Kings 18, 36. And it came to pass at the time of the offering of the evening sacrifice that Elijah the prophet came near and said, Lord God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Israel, let it be known this day that thou art God in Israel and that I am thy servant and that I have done all these things at thy word. The fire fell at the evening sacrifice. You don't know what's going to happen in your evening sacrifice. God can open up windows and pour out a fire. He can restore something to you in your evening sacrifice. And it may just be your lifting up hands. We've watched this now for decades at secular comp. Uh, concerts with people that sing very worldly, ungodly songs from country music to rap artists and the congregation of people that are out there, the audience is waving their hands. The world knows the significance of waving of hands. And they'll stand for two hours and just wave hands and jump up and down. With lyrics and songs that destroy the internal man, the spiritual man. How much more should the people of God lift up their hands? As the Lord restores your spiritual man and gives you life. Let's do the math. I like math. 
Math is good. I like math because it's stable. Math is not opinionated. It has no emotion. It's a wonderful thing, math. Digits. Only one possible answer. It doesn't care how you feel. Real math and the outcome of real math is not based upon your emotional side. Now you can feel that the answer should be three. But if you put two and two, it just means you're a drama queen. (laughs) We don't feel math. These are numbers. So let's do some math here. Just math. When Peter got up to speak on the day of Pentecost, it was in the morning. It was the third hour of the day. It was the it was a it was nine o'clock in the morning. And uh, they said, these are drunk. They're speaking in other tongues. And Peter said, no, these these are not drunk as you suppose. It's early in the morning. They have not been drinking. Now, I'm assuming this because I don't know this firsthand, but assume that people usually get drunk later on the day. You start out in the morning, then you are drunk by... Later on the day. Now, you don't have to raise your hand if you know this person. We're just doing math here. That was the morning sacrifice when he poured out the Spirit. But if you look at the Jewish day, the Jewish day didn't start in the morning, it started in the evening. The evening and the morning were the first day. So at the end of the day, he poured out the Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost. People spoke in tongues. You had to figure out what he did at the first of the day, which would have been the evening sacrifice. I'll read it to you. He climbs off of that perched prayer meeting. He dragged down from that small area of the garden where fledgling olive trees had grown. They pull him down to the Kidron Valley and up the other side through the barrier wall and he'll go through the eastern gate and then make his way from Caiaphas associated with Annas and then to Pilate and then to Herod and then to Pilate. They'll plunge him into a small dungeon, open cavern. Bring him out, he'll be beaten. They'll take him to the professional torturer. He will will whip the Lord's back. Lay stripes, he is a bloody mess. His visage is so marred, he doesn't look like a man. John has foretold it three and a half years prior. Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. The sacrifice is before us. 
they will rest him in a stone causeway and play a little game, kings, the king's game. And then they'll strip him, plunge a crown of thorns into his brow. His head will bleed profusely. The blood will surely make its way into his eyes. They will lay him down on a used cross. And they will pound nails into his hands and into his feet. And they will lift him up and plunge that cross into the ground. He will probably only be off the ground, maybe a foot or two, not high, just a foot or two. High enough not to be able to step off. And he will hang there. And they will crucify him. And he will hang there at noon. And I read, now from the sixth hour, there was darkness over all the land until the ninth hour, 3 p.m. And the ninth hour, that's the evening sacrifice. Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? And, and Matthew will give a few more scriptures and then say he'll cry out with a loud voice and next he gives up the ghost. The greatest sacrifice the evening sacrifice was the final sacrifice for your sin. It was the evening sacrifice. Hear me. When you lift up your hands in the evening sacrifice, you're identifying with the greatest of them all. When you lift up your hands, nothing in it, you're identifying with praise and worship because the great Lamb of God, He took away your sin in the evening sacrifice. He gave you pathway. He gave you access. He gave you hope. And when you have nothing in your hands, you still have your hands. I'm identifying at the evening sacrifice. Something's going to happen at the evening sacrifice. lift up your hands all ye people oh lift up your hands all ye congregation of people for the Lord God is mighty and his name is mighty and his word is true and the evening sacrifice is upon you whether you are within or without I'll tell you right now you're going to go through it you may be in it. You may have come from it. But wherever you are in life, you remember what I'm preaching today. You throw your hands up in the middle of that store. You put your hands up in the middle of your bedroom. When you're standing out in your front yard, you are overwhelmed. And you say, nobody's around. I got nobody to call.
I'm not dwelling in a cave. I'm not dwelling in misery. But when I ever get, when I get to those moments in my life, I've got to remember I may be without, but I can still worship Him like I am within. I'm not waiting to get within before I make my sacrifice. I'm going to praise Him. I'm going to praise Him as the evening sacrifice. I met Mickey Mooney when I was 13. It was in Albany, New York, and they were preaching the camp. She was sweet to me and hugged me. I was watching her during the service. She didn't dance. She didn't jump up and down. And throughout her life, she didn't do that. Of course, I didn't realize that she had many car accidents and she had messed up her spine. But this is her worship. That's like some of you dancing and running. You should do it. But this was her worship. And when she pulled me out of secularism in 1990 and said, you got to get out of that law school thing. You got to come to Indianapolis. I sat by her. And this is her worship. It might have been by limitation or just by etiquette. I do not know. But this was her worship. There's something about waving your hands to the Lord. That's my evening sacrifice. Some of you have been waiting all week to get to church. You should not have waited. Why did you wait? Tonight, before you go to bed, just lift up hands like this. Don't you know that there are many countries around the world they don't have this opportunity all they have is this this is good enough it's just as the evening sacrifice and my prayer is going to be like the incense I'm going to be standing as if I was in the tabernacle as if I made my way into Shiloh as if I made my way, my, made my way into Jerusalem when I make my way into the church house wherever I am within or without my evening sacrifice going to praise him I'm praising him with you I want to praise him with you but I'll praise him without you I will praise him when I'm not with you because that's my evening sacrifice and fire falls at the evening sacrifice and redemption happens at the evening sacrifice come on now with your mouth with your words with your prayer with your emotions be like an incense before the Lord and with your hands and your heart I'll be a little nostalgic when I grew up we had three or four ladies in our church that when the spirit fell they'd just start marching and they'd start waving <laughs> oh 
I long for the days when we forget about everybody else and when we walk into his presence and begin to worship him and offer him praise and if you think I don't have anything in my hand that's okay if you've got a hand you should put it up he's waiting for you come on praise him praise him you can practice right now you're within you can practice when the day comes when you are without 